0: If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13 today, and we will start in verse 1 in just a moment. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. I'm also going to reference 1 Timothy chapter 2 later on. It's just going to be kind of in passing. You're free to turn there if you want, but we're not going to spend hardly any time in it. Our main focus today is going to be Romans chapter 13 and the first seven verses. Now I want to give credit where credit is due because um, I'm in the process of, of going through the Bible uh, hopefully in a year. Sometimes it takes me a little more than that, sometimes it takes me a little less than that. But my goal is uh, in, in a year to, to get through the Bible and I'm in the book of Jeremiah and that is kind of a difficult book to get through. Um, but the, the program that I'm using has a reading plan and every few days it has a devotion kind of sprinkled in uh, in the midst of that. And um, one of the devotions this week had a brief conversation that connected two ideas that that I had I had seen them I had known them but they never actually made that connection to my mind and maybe you've had that happen um, but I, I saw that and I, I heard that and uh, it was just briefly discussed but for whatever reason it, it kind of got a hold of me this week and um, and I just wanted to share it with you and, and hopefully it will maybe make a, a connection for you as well and um, I really like the title of the devotion as well so I borrowed it, and so I made it that my, the, my sermon title, which is "The Way of the Exile," and if you're if you're familiar with the Book of Jeremiah, what happened was Jeremiah served in uh, the the time of the Babylonian captivity. Now you say, what in the world that? Well, you remember, um, Israel was divided into two kingdoms after the death of Solomon. There was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now Israel had a whole bunch of real bad kings. They were rotten and and scoundrels and they, they didn't follow God. They, they started worshiping idols. The whole nation did and all kinds of bad stuff. God kept sending prophets to turn uh, from the, your wicked ways. You need to turn back to me and so forth. The people did not do that. So God let the Assyrians come in and take them over. And he uh, the the uh, Sennacherib, the, uh, the king of Assyria, deported all these people out of the northern kingdom of Israel and sent them to different nations. And so they were exiled into different lands. And you would think that the southern kingdom, having seen what happened to the northern kingdom, they would do a lot better. But the problem is they saw it, but they didn't change their ways. They started doing the same things that Israel did, the northern kingdom. And so God said, I'm going to send the Babylonians to, to you guys. And that's going to be led by a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you should, you should probably know the name Nebuchadnezzar. If you've read the book of Daniel, he was the one that, that uh, he, he was puffed up with pride, and, and God ended up making him go insane and, and all that stuff. <clears throat> so anyway, um, God said the Babylonians are going to come in and exile you guys. And and Jeremiah, along with some others, were standing up and telling the people, you need, you need to turn back to God. Uh, Babylon's going to come and, and take over and do all these terrible things. But there were also these false prophets that stood up and said, no, that's not going to happen. Peace, peace, when there actually was no peace. And so Jeremiah stood up and said, you know what? You guys, you're going to be exiled. You're going to be sent to these foreign lands. And when you get there, you might as well just settle in because it's going to be a long time. You need to build houses, plant gardens, and so forth. And even more surprising, he said, pray for the city in which you're exiled. Now, I say that's surprising because you would think the, the the command would not be to pray for the cities of the people that had defeated you. But that's exactly what Jeremiah said, or God said through Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear, son, may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in, into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. Now obviously we live in 21st century America. We are not in uh, nearly the same uh, situation as what these, uh, what these people that went into Babylonian captivity are. And yet we just got through singing, this world is not our home. The Bible tells us over and over again that we are strangers in this land. We are are sojourners. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so there are some parallels between us and them. And, And since that is the case, since our citizenship is in heaven, since our king is Jesus, since we are part of God's kingdom, the question becomes, how do we relate to the powers that be in this life? How do we relate to the governing authorities? How do we relate to the U.S. government, for instance? How do we relate to the governmental system? And, and this is not just a question that we've had to wrestle with. This is a question that the early Christians had to wrestle with. Because they, were, they, they lived in a system where it wasn't uh, ruled by the consent of the governed. It was ruled out of bloodshed. It was ruled out of force. And so how, do, how should we as Christians relate to the powers that be? Do we owe any allegiance to the powers that be? Do we, do, we, do we have an obligation to be obedient to the powers that be? And so the, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, and he tells us, he gives us a word for how we should live in that context, as exiles, as it were, in a foreign land. So if you found Romans 13 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word, and we'll read down through verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. Paul says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only, for, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting them, themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor." Thank you. you. may be seated. Now, there are three things I want you to see in our text today. The first is the principle. Now, there, there's an overarching theme, an overarching principle that guides this whole discussion and is pulled directly uh, out of our text, among other places. But, But, but the principle is this, and this is... Uh, it, it may not be the, the prettiest language, but I think it, it kind of captures uh, the, the idea of the scriptures. The, the, the idea is where there is no conflict between God's kingdom and the legitimate activities of the governing authorities, obey the governing authorities. Where there is conflict or where they are not acting legitimately, our duty to obey ends and we must obey God rather than men. And really, I think that most everything that's going to be said in, in the text today, and really most all the discussion that's had around this topic, can be lumped under that overarching principle. But let's look at what Paul says bit by bit. Now, uh, look, look at verse 1. It says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, he, he, he lays out the scope of this command. Notice he doesn't say it's just Christians. He doesn't say it's just non Christians and and Christians can do something different. They can be rebels and all these other things. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say uh, people who have a godly government and godly leaders, those are the people who need to be in subjection. He says all people, everywhere, in all areas of time, in, in every form of government, be in subjection to the governing authorities. It doesn't matter if you have a president, it doesn't matter if you have a king, it doesn't matter if you have a queen, it doesn't matter if you have a despot. It does not matter. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. Now, immediately, if, if, you're, if you're thinking about things, you're immediately coming up with qualifications in, in your mind, aren't you? Or, or questions about this. Now, but what about this or what about that? Is this a call to absolute unqualified submission? What about unjust rulers and things like that? How, how, do, we, how do we wrestle with this? How do we understand it? Well, the first major qualification of this is pretty obvious. If there is conflict between the kingdom of God and the governing authorities, you are bound to disobey the governing authorities. Why? Because your ultimate allegiance lies with God and not man. said another way, in general, it is the duty of every Christian to follow the governing authorities. In general, it is the duty of every Christian to follow the laws of the land, to be in subjection to the powers that be, in general, to be good citizens. That is our duty. That is our obligation. However, there may be a time when there's a ruler, somebody that's in authority, a law that's passed, for instance, that goes against a plain teaching of Scripture or conscience. And in those instances, disobedience not only becomes an option, it becomes a duty of the Christian. Now this resistance should be now, now. I know you guys, and so I shouldn't have to say this. I don't have to say this for you guys, but I'll say it anyway. It should be nonviolent resistance. should Should not involve bloodshed. We're we're not rebels, but resistance nevertheless is necessary. Now I will freely confess. I preached this text before. I had not. I had not sufficiently thought through this, this principle, this, this, uh, the, this text. I, I had not thought through it as much as I should have. And I, I freely admit that. Because just a few years ago, it was, all, it was pretty much unthinkable that the, that the United States government would try to mandate or order Christians to do something that would blatantly violate Scripture's teaching. Now, we don't live in Rome. Now, in Rome they ordered everybody, including Christians, to offer a pinch to Caesar, that they would worship Caesar, that they would worship the emperor as God. Now, clearly, that did not happen in America, and thankfully so. But the principle covers something the governing authorities did do, and that is not only command us to do something that the Bible forbids, but forbid us to do something the Bible commands Now, in the book of Acts, they did the same thing. You remember the the, the apostles went out and they they were preaching, they were teaching, they were talking about Jesus. And the governing authorities brought them in and said, you can't do that. And they beat them, they imprisoned them, they did all sorts of things. And what did Peter and John, who were the ones who were speaking at the time, what did they say? Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. Now, likewise, many in, in the state and local and the national government try to dictate when and how and if churches back back when COVID was going on could meet for worship that is not their place that is not their sphere of authority and listen just a couple years ago police were showing up in worship services disrupting services they were finding Christians who met without the approval of Caesar in Canada there were pastors who were arrested? Who were hauled off? Their children—they were, they were taken. They were incarcerated right in front of their wife and kids. And, and there are videos online you can see them of kids just weeping as their as their fathers are being hauled off because the government said you can't meet, and they said we will meet, and they were arrested. Even though the, there were, there were times when even their own government was saying there's virtually zero sickness in this area, you still can't meet, and they did it. We must obey God rather than men. Government has a clear sphere of authority. The church has a clear sphere of authority. The church is not over the government, and the government is not over the church. And so this is not an unqualified call to submission because we are citizens, we are not slaves. Our ultimate allegiance lies with God. Now, having said all that, I'm majoring on the exception right now because by and large... That is not what is happening most of the time. We are not called to rebellion. We're not called to upset the civil order. We are called to be good citizens. Now, look back at the text. Paul says be subject or be in subjection to the governing authorities. The word that's used here is the use of soldiers in the military. They would be in subjection to their commanding officers. they, They put themselves under the authority of someone else. And Paul gives two reasons why we should do this. Number one, verse two, because God has established human government. God has established human government. Now the ultimate, all ultimate authority lies with God. No person has an intrinsic right over another person. No person has an intrinsic right over another person that has not come from God. Said another way, there are people in authority over others, parents over children, rulers over uh, uh, those who are, are governed, so forth. But that authority is not intrinsic to the person themselves. It comes from God as delegated. It is a delegated authority that comes from the Lord. God has instituted human government. And therefore, if you resist authority, you've resisted, you've resisted what he has set up, and therefore you are opposing or resisting God. And make no mistake, this is this is not a call to anarchy, it's quite the opposite. Government exists, Paul says, for the good of people. Government exists for the good of people. Now, even as I say that, I know that that every government, our own included, is corrupt to some level or another at every level in all parties. This is not one group is good and this group is bad. I'm saying that all government is corrupt. Because all government is made up of fallen human beings. And I'm painting with a broad brush. But what I'm saying is that government is instituted by God for the good of the people. Now, now, look at verse 3. In what way is the government good for the people? Well, the proper role of government, Paul says, is to restrain or punish evil and to protect or reward good they're not set up to cause fear of good behavior but of bad do what is good and you will at least you should have praise from the governing authorities even corrupt governments where maybe they're in a pagan land it's a pagan ruler they don't have the scriptures they don't follow the bible even in that type of a situation governments have laws on the books to punish evil and to promote good if, if you go out and murder somebody in all lands, there's a penalty for that. That is a good thing because it, it punishes evil. Now, when a government tries to overstep its bounds, and it, or it begins to punish good and promote evil, again, then it's acting illegitimately, and our duty to obey that ceases. But the second reason to obey is in verse 5. Look at what it says. For conscience's sake you say, well, now, now I just want to back up to what I just got there talking about. This this idea of punishing evil, we know that this is effective. Because even if we are not punished directly, we know that that, has a, uh, that that has a curbing effect. How many times have you ever been driving down the road, and you've been slightly exceeding the posted speed limit sign? And you see a policeman. What do you do immediately? All of a sudden, you slow down, or if you don't want to draw attention to yourself... You turn off the cruise. Or you sit up real straight. How many times have you ever turned the radio down when you see a policeman? Who care? He doesn't care how loud your, your radio is unless it's shaking the, the windows of, of the, the apartment buildings or something. Now listen, we know that, that that this has a curbing effect on doing wrong. And that's what it's there for. It's, it's to... It's to it's to punish evil, but also in that punishment, others see it and are like, I don't want any of that. Because you'll notice he says that, that the government does not bear the sword in vain. Now, that bearing the sword in vain, um, it, it has the idea of, of capital punishment. And Paul is affirming the right of government to, to end someone's life under certain circumstances. Now, listen, government's role is to protect life, liberty, and personal property. That is what government should do. And it can go so far as to take someone's life. But even the lesser things like giving a ticket or a fine or jail time, that also curbs evil. Now um, again, we we talk about we talk about capital punishment. The governing authorities, whether it be the judge or the governor or the, the, the president or whatever level it is, nor the, the, the government as a whole, they do not have an intrinsic right to determine when somebody dies. When, when capital punishment is executed, that should be seen as them carrying out the justice that God has prescribed. What does, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? He says, don't take vengeance yourself, but what? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You leave room for God to take that vengeance. Chapter 13, one of the ways that happens is through the governing authorities enforcing the laws. So we should we should support government insofar as it is appropriate. Now, get back to, let's get back to verse 5. He says to be, uh, to, to, to obey for conscience's sake. Now, now, one reason, that probably the biggest reason that most of us obey the government is because we don't want to go to jail. We don't want a fine. The reason you pay your taxes, even if it's through gritted teeth, is because you don't want them to come and take you off to jail. You don't want them to come and seize your property. It, but that, that's one reason But we should also do because we know that God has instituted it. So that's the principle. Now, there are two practical ways the Bible says that we should employ this, that we should put it into practice. First, and these are going to be very quick, I'm just going to mention them in passing. First, we need to pay taxes. Look at verses 6 and 7. For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, taxes to whom taxes due, custom to whom tax, uh, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor for whom honor. Again, this is not new information if you were here during our study of Luke because somebody came to Jesus and said, hey, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar and what'd he say? Give me a coin. Whose whose image is on that? It's Caesar's. Well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, this is is not a discussion about whether the tax system we have in America right now is just because it's not. I, I will say it forthrightly. When you pay taxes on what you make and then you are taxed on what you buy with what's already been taxed, and then you have to pay property tax on what you've already bought with what's been taxed. You, you get the idea. And and then when when somebody dies, and there's an inheritance tax, and then there's all these taxes, that is unjust. That is not right. This isn't talking about exorbitant taxes. It's it's not even enter into the discussion. Paul says if, if if you have a tax to pay, pay it. Now we thankfully live in a government governmental system where we can influence the way that we're taxed by the people that we elect who set those taxes. Unfortunately, the people that we elect tax and spend without measure. But the idea here is that those in authority ideally make it their job to rule in such a way as to benefit those who are governed. That is, that is what should be happening. And therefore, those of us who are under that system and who benefit from that should support those people, and that happens through tax monies i don't like it any more than you do but we need to pay and the second thing we need to do is pray we need to pray now it's jeremiah council pray for the welfare of the city in which you're exiled pray for the city for the state for the nation pray for our our court systems as they're making decisions that affect us pray for our our leaders i mean they're they're faced with all kinds of decisions i wouldn't want to make and don't just pray for the place pray for the people First Timothy chapter 2, I mentioned it earlier. Did I make my way there? Um, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Listen, our nation needs prayer. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our government. At, at every level, from the president all the way down to local government, we need to pray for them. Pray that God would give them wisdom, that we can live a, a, a tranquil and a quiet life. Pray that, 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 that he would bring salvation to them. We need to pay our taxes, and we need to pray for our nation. Pray for the people in our nation. So what's the end of all this? The end of the matter is this. Obey or submit to the governing authorities as long as they're acting legitimately And there's no conflict between the kingdom of God and these governing authorities. For where there's a conflict, our obedience should be with God and not with man. Because we're not revolutionaries, we're not rebels, we should be good citizens. And yet at the same time, we must recognize that our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. That is our home. We're strangers here, we're we're sojourners. And we must live in light of that and live ultimately in obedience to God. Want to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you: to bow your heads and close your eyes. If nobody looking around, I know this is not. In many ways, it doesn't seem like a real spiritual type sermon. It's not abstract, certainly. This is applied theology. How do you live in relation to the government? How do you live in relation, we'll, we'll take it down even a step lower, in relation to your boss at work? They're in a position of authority. Paul said, "Give honor to whom honor is due." Maybe you need to check your attitude with that with that boss. Say, "Oh, but he's no good. She's no good." That wasn't a qualification. Maybe you. Maybe you have kind of cast aside what the government has said or thought, not, not out of principle, but just because you have a rebellious spirit and you don't like to listen to anybody. Listen, there is a legitimate form of government or a legitimate exercise of government. There's illegitimate. And I haven't even talked about salvation, but I know that any time that the, that the word is opened, that God can use that to speak to a heart. And if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, if he is not your King, repent and believe the gospel today. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, for your word which speaks clearly to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And God, I pray that you'd help us to uh, be clear-sighted in uh, our relationship to the government and all those in authority and to live in ways that please you. In Jesus' name, amen.